is a Woodside Church podcast. Shall we pray, please? Father, thank you this morning for the opportunity and the privilege to stand before your people. Lord, I have no words of my own. I pray that you will speak through me this morning to your people. And I pray that hearts will be open to your word this morning, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 So I'm continuing with lessons from the wilderness years, and today I'll be sharing from Exodus 16. Um, I have a friend that I've been with for a while. We've been friends for quite a long time, and we got a job together. We have the same job, actually, but he was bold enough to, you know, to go for an interview for a senior position. Uh, in our workplace, and he got the job. Frankly speaking, I wasn't very happy about it. I rejoiced with him. I mean, you know, hey, but in my heart I was thinking, you know, now he's gone, he's gone past me, you know, he's better now, and he's doing much better. Uh, so I, I did actually grumble and, and I complained. Who's been there before? Who, who's actually done that before? Or let's see, guys, all perfect Christians, you've never grumbled before. But I know I have, you know. So today we're going to be looking at um, the children of Israel. Now they've left Egypt and God has brought them through. And you saw last session that Tim shared, you know, their hearts, very whiny, very complaining, you know, they didn't have water, they whined. So we're going to continue looking at the, the attitude in that wilderness I just want to take time to thank the church leadership for giving me the honor and the privilege to stand before you this morning. Um, thank you for trusting me. <laughs> um, the part I want to look at from um, Exodus 16 is to look at the heart of the people of Israel. And I'm going to start from, just read a little extra from chapter 16 verse 1. So the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So they've been out of Egypt for six weeks. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out here into this desert to starve uh, in this entire assembly to death. So, these guys um, have been out of Egypt for six weeks. So, what I asked God, I said, Lord, I just want you to, to, what lessons can we learn from this aspect of this part of their life? And God gave me a couple of things that He felt that. As a body of Christ, this is what lesson we could learn from them. The first lesson that he taught me was to leave the past in the past. See, these guys have been saved by a merciful, kind God who, by the power of his might, yanked them out of Pharaoh's hand and led them through. And he brought them into, finally, it was a desert, but they... All they could think about was food that they ate in 
in Egypt. I'm sure they were smell, still remembering the smell of the aroma of the food. You know, when you're hungry, you always imagine how food, good food tastes and smells. I have a neighbor, an Asian friend of my, my neighbor is an Asian, and I tell you, every Friday he cooks up a meal. And I've been, I've been tempted to go and ask him, can I come and eat dinner? <laughs> you, know? you know, you guys, you know, I, I love Asian food. I do. Uh, where's uh, Ujwal? <laughs> so, but these guys were still thinking in the past, you know. Okay, agreed. Six weeks is not a very long time, you know, after being saved from slavery. But it reminds me of a very famous explorer, Spanish explorer, called um, Hanan Cortes. Now, Cortes took a fleet of ships from Spain to the new, new land of, um, South Amer- of South America. He landed in Mexico. And it got wind that some of his men were grumbling. You know, they wanted to go back to Spain. In the middle of the night, Cortes touched his whole fleet, burned the whole ship to stop his men from going back. In the case of the children of Israel, God closed the Red Sea. In your own case, what ship, what bridge do you need to burn so that you don't ever go back to where you came from? See, I believe that what we are saved into is far greater than what we're saved out of. See, God has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And he has given us everything that we need. Glancing to the past like Lot's wife makes us lose focus of where God is taking us. Amen. So, just like Paul said, Paul urging us to say that we should forget. He said, forgetting what is behind. I look forward towards the mark of the prize. Amen. And I also think that um, when times get tough, it's a human tendency to return to that which is familiar. You know, we're always, you know, the, the unknown scares us. It puts a bit of uh, fear in us. So we want to revert back to what we know. I mean, Peter did it. Peter went back fishing. Actually, he took the rest with him. <laughs> you know? And this is Peter that walked with Christ, saw great miracles, saw amazing things. He went back to fishing. You know? But God is saying that you have been saved out of something that you don't need to go back to anymore. The children of Israel, okay, fine. Six weeks was a short time. They still had slave mentality. They're still thinking like slaves. You know, slaves are very, very untrusting because they've been, um, there's been so much cruelty doled out to them. They have had so much pain over 400 years of being treated poorly. And now all of a sudden they're free. And there's Moses trying to tell them that uh, you need to follow some God. And to them, no, that's, that's not, we're going to do what's in our hearts. You know, so, so because they lacked that internal trust, not just in God, but in, even in themselves, they did not want to follow the path that God wanted for them. And I, I believe that in the heart of every slave is an ingrained rebel, 
every slave wants to rebel because they want to be free. And so to them, it's like leaving one controlling people to another controlling people. So they did not think that following God or following instructions was the best thing for them. So, in what ways have you grumbled against God in the past? Think about it. You may not have grumbled openly, but your attitude, you know, you will have whined a bit in your heart, you know, why did that guy get that, you know, they just bought a new car, like, you know, God, I've been driving this old banger for so long, what about me, you know? We've all been there, and we've all had that kind of heart. But I believe that a murmuring spirit grieves God's heart. It actually reveals a discontent with God. We are called to be content at all times. Like Paul says in Philippians 4, um, 11, he says, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So Paul is here telling us that we should be contented with what, whatever we, wherever we find ourselves, with whatever God gives us, because he knows what we need. You know, and you know, the Bible says that um, we shouldn't really worry about what we need because God is already taking care of us. You know, we've been encouraged by Christ to what? To seek his kingdom first, and every other thing will be added. So we're worrying about things, whinging or complaining about things makes our life so much different and so much uh, difficult. So what is the, the, the repercussion or the impact of murmuring, of complaining? I believe that complaining models Satan's heart. Because if you think about it, it was discontent that made him fall out with God. He wanted to be like God. He wasn't happy with his position. And this was an angel that was given so much. The Bible says that he had music coming out of him. He had a, a special place in God's heart. But no, that wasn't enough for him. He wanted to be like God. And that discontent made him the way his heart um, was. I also believe that grumbling is the opposite of prayer. I mean, what would have been the perfect thing for the children of Israel to do. Okay, we are hungry. When a child is hungry, what do they do? They turn to their parents and ask. All they needed to do was to ask Moses, let us pray. Let us ask God for help. Let us depend on God instead of grumbling. So when we complain, it's like the reverse of prayer, what we're doing is we are rehearsing all the things that God should be doing in our lives and is not doing. Amen. Grumbling also swallows up, you know, the blessings of mercy before it comes, and it's true. If God has promised you something and you grumble about it, or you grumble when it doesn't come when you expect it, eventually when it comes, you don't have a testimony. You can't testify that oh, I grumbled about this. But I still got it. <laughs> it's true. You, 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 can't, you don't have a testimony. And it, it will not actually um, bless God. It will not edify anybody. Because the circumstance which 
happened before you got that blessing was not of a good report. You grumbled about it. And finally, I believe that grumbling poisons the heart of others. When you grumble in the presence of another person, you also get them to start feeling, thinking about their own issues. And they too start to develop a heart of discontent. You know, they say that best of the same feather, you know, flock together. So in other words, you create a negative atmosphere and people begin to, you know, develop that same negative mindset. Rather than being edified, people become discouraged. Amen. And the second lesson that I believe that we got from this, from um, Exodus 16, is to have faith and trust in God. So we have these the Israelites, okay, they were complaining the winds and, and were, you know, telling Moses, oh, you brought us here to kill us. And God asked Moses to bring them, the whole nation of Israel, before him. And Moses brought the children of Israel before God. There's a particular verse that, I, that when I read it, I was like, wow, this must be amazing. That's um, um, verse 10. It says, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. Man, can you imagine how that will have been? That you can actually look and see, there is God. Imagine what will happen here. All the Stephen Hawkins and all those people that said, oh, we don't think there's a God. There. There's his presence. All those people that will have tried, used all sorts of arguments to say, oh, we don't believe there's a God. That's the evidence. But that's too simple because that's not how God works. God had to do that with the children of Israel because of their special circumstance. He had to. You see, the children of Israel, they needed that. See, God had to reveal himself to them again like he did to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, for them to actually begin to trust and believe in him. And he revealed himself to them in three ways. The first was through his power. They saw him decimate Egypt with his power. He purposely hardened Pharaoh's heart because he wanted to show his people, his children, that his, the, the gods that they saw the Egyptians worship, God wanted to show them that they are nothing compared to him. So he showed them, he revealed himself through them, to them by his power. Then he revealed himself to them by his presence. The Bible said that he was with them. You know, Moses said, Lord, I can't go anywhere unless you go with me. So he was with them. They could visibly, every day, see the presence of God. Pillar of fire, pillar of smoke. That is amazing. And then he revealed himself to them through his provision. He supplied their needs. But this was all from a distance. See, they, they knew God, or they, they related with God from a distance. They didn't have an intimate relationship with God like you and I have. See, they, they, were, going, they were going to God through Moses, an intermediary. And so, that is how we are different from the children of Israel. Amen. So, the Bible says that it is by grace that we've been saved, through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
So faith is what we have that makes us so much stronger, so much different from the Israelites. Faith in a God that is merciful, a God that saw us in the pit where we are and he pulled us out and saved us just like he saved his children, the Israelites. Amen. So we are saved by grace and now we have faith in a God that loves us so much. You know, the Bible says that faith is the evidence of something that you don't see it, but you believe. That's why Christ said, blessed are those who believe even though they have not seen. Amen. Amen. So that is how different we are. But when we look at the Bible, at the, the Bible's wall of faith, the men and women that have stood strong in the belief that God is amazing and he is who he is. I mean, think about Abel. By faith, Abel gave a better sacrifice than Cain, his brother, and God blessed him. By faith, Abraham trusted God and it was according to him as righteousness. By faith, Elizabeth believed the angel that spoke of her child's birth. Also, by faith, I knelt by my gravely ill son, that young man over there, about to die. In fact, he died three times in my presence, and he was resourced three times. Doctors said, we've done all we can, and he walked away. And I knelt by my dying son's side, and I cried out to a God who has been with me for years. And I said, Lord, you cannot bring to birth and not deliver. And he answered me, and he saved my boy. By faith. Amen. By faith, my wife and myself cried to God over empty cupboards, starving, no food. Empty cupboards. And we knelt down in my kitchen and we prayed. And God brought abundance. I tell you, I have tasted God is good. I know. Amen. By faith, you and I prayed as my wife was dying thousands of miles away in an airplane. And God answered us. See, the image that the devil showed was dead. But we believe in a God who is faithful and will not change. Amen. So, what by faith are you believing God for today? What is it that you're trusting God for that he cannot do? There's a slogan Nigerians have that say, what God cannot do does not exist. Amen. And it's true. Christ said that to, to, to man, these things are impossible. To God, all things are possible. He used the word all. All things are possible. Amen. Then lesson three that I picked from these um, Exodus was um, choose obedience. Choose obedience. Where's Ron? Thank you so much for your word, Ron. That is so true that we choose to actually go into the vineyard. They could have, you know, said, look, nobody called us. We're just going to go home. But we chose right. They chose the right Amen. So 
So the last is to choose obedience. Now, the children of Israel were told, they were given a simple instruction. Collect manna for the day. At the end of the day, whatever that's left, make sure you finish it because by the next day, it's not going to be so good. But they disobeyed. They kept it till the next day and it got rotten. And there was maggots all over it. <laughs> then the second time, God said, collect manna for six days because the seventh day is a day of rest for you. So I will expect that that day that you don't do anything, that you rest, you will eat the manna from the previous day. Again, some of them disobeyed and went out to look for manna on the seventh day, and there was none. <laughs> so, like, you know, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is filled with men and women that believed and obeyed and trusted God. And you can see that God's heart is towards those that do his will. Obedience is trusting in God and believing that he is who he is and that whatever he says, he will do. Amen. So, and that's my encouragement this morning, that we begin to not allow the devil to help to develop a stubborn spirit in us because obedience is an act of love. Christ said, if you love me, you will obey my, my words. It also shows a heart of great gratitude that we trust God enough to say, Lord, whatever you will, I will do. Amen. And ob obedience also does generate reward. Like the, the people that went into the vineyard, they were rewarded. Amen. But Christ is our greatest example of obedience. Amen. I mean, Philippians 2.8 says that being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Amen. So Christ obeyed even though he, it was a painful thing for him. Remember he prayed in, to his father to say, if it is possible, take this cup from me. But still, he obeyed and went to that cross and died for you and for me. He is our example. He's our example. He set the, because Christ came to this earth, lived like we did, did everything you and I will have engaged in. Bible still said he was sinless. So when we look to who is our role model for obedience, it's Christ. Amen. So, so the last lesson before we go is the fact that trials will come no matter what. And apart from the children of Israel going through the desert and wilderness, there's been mentioned in scripture many, many people that went through the wilderness, different kinds of wilderness. For instance, Abraham and Sarah, you know, looking for a child for so many years, that was a wilderness for them. Um, Job, losing his whole family, and being afflicted with the disease. That was a wilderness for him. Daniel, exiled, later thrown into a lion's den. That was a wilderness for him. 
So what wilderness are you going through right now in your life? That you need a God that will come and just walk alongside you. Amen. So two things that I, I want to bring out this morning is, first of all, the fact that we need to confess and ask God for forgiveness for the time that we've grumbled and complained rather than going to him and falling on our knees and saying, Lord, I need you. I need you and I want you to come to my rescue. I don't like how I feel, but I am dependent on you. And the second is, life happens. Trials will come. What did Christ say? He says, in the world, you will have tribulations. So we're not saved so that we will live a trouble-free life. That's not the Christian way. But God is, what did he say? He said, be cheerful because he has overcome the world. So whatever wilderness you find yourself right now, my prayer is that we can stand together and call upon the name of the Lord who took his people. Oh, before I forget, you know the journey that they, were, they took from Egypt to Canaan was supposed to be 40 days, but it lasted 40 years. And that was because of stubbornness. <laughs> but God will not do that to us because we are loved and, and we are in Christ. And so if there is anyone here who needs for us to stand with them, you know, the Bible says that the, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Let's stand together. Whatever it is, whatever wilderness you're going through right now, whatever trial the devil has placed on you or God has allowed into your life, he is here in power and in might. Your trial sometimes is to humble you, remove the things of pride out of you. Sometimes trial is to make you completely dependent on God. You know, we human beings, we have this thing of wanting to be um, independent, you know. I can do it on my own. I don't need anybody, you know. Sometimes God will let trials make you to depend completely on him. Amen. But also, trial builds your faith. You know, faith is like a muscle. You've got to work it. You've got to exercise it. As you go through trial, your dependence and your faith in God will continue to, to grow. I tell you, I've, I've, God has done amazing things in my life. I, if I could spend days just talking about the miracles that God has wrought in my life and in my family's life. The more you depend on him, the more you have faith in him, the stronger your faith becomes. Amen. So it's like a baby learning to walk. As they practice walking, their limbs become stronger. As you continue to trust God and have faith in him, even through your trials. Because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So even in the midst of the trial, he is there. I mean, think about the children of um, his disciples. They were in a storm. He was sleeping in the boat. You know, he was right there with them in the storm. Even though, yes, he did wake up and steal the storm, but he was there with them. 
So have faith that no matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Amen. You are not alone. So, shall we rise? Can the worship team please come? As we listen to this song, I want you to remember where God has brought you from, all the things that God has done in your life, all the, the footprints of God that you can see. Remember that he will do it again over and over. He is a God that will not change. Amen. So wherever you are right now, do not fear. Have faith that God, who has been with you in the past, will also be with you even now, even until Christ comes. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.